What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the STL Tones podcast. Abel here with you, and today I am joined by two of the biggest multi-genre producers, engineers in the game. And of course, that is Chris Lord, Algy, and Howard Benson. Guys, how are you? Thank you for joining us. We are Greetings. great. We're still here. <laughs> yes, you're still here. <laughs> uh, how have you guys been uh, kind of adapting to the climate of the crazy changing uh, world right now as far as studio work is concerned? Well, Chris, you, uh, you can pick that up if you want. Well, I mean, we're pretty socially distanced to begin with because we're, you know, generally in our control rooms or in our studios and our homes editing audio and working with that. So we're not around a ton of people at once. So everything is shut down and become a situation where you work with people one at a time over the Internet. We get files back and forth. Uh, has it stopped us in our tracks like live shows? No, but it just made us adapt to the new norm or this temporary situation so we have to be a bit more creative um you know the downside is that all our bands are in a panic all the people we work with are in a panic because their livelihoods depend on their summer tours and that's their income so it's i feel horrible for them but we encourage them all and i think howard would agree with me on this encourage them all to stockpile music and keep working so uh, i mean focus on what you can do and don't worry about what you can't yeah, I think that's exactly right. This is the time that you do like the Rolling Stones used to do, where uh, Keith Richards would just stockpile riffs when he knew he was still lucid, you know? So they could go back to things like 20 years ago and 30 years ago that they right. can kind of, you know... And now you have all this free time, and it's great to just uh, keep coming in and recording because I think when the artists go on tour, they're not going to come back. They're going to tour and tour and tour and tour. And I think it's going to be a bit of a cluster out there with all the touring. But, you know, this is how they make money. So they're not going to want to come back. And Live Nation's not going to, they're going to get, they're going to want to get all their advances back that they've given. So, you know, we won't see some of these bands, I would say, for maybe two, three years, actually. So, um, and I don't blame them, you know. So right now is when you should be, uh, you know, writing material. This is like the time this, you know, stockpile it away. You know, aside from aside from, you know, kind of encouraging them to stockpile music, have you guys seen an influx because of this of, you know, files and bands wanting to work on albums and wanting to get records done now that they have all this downtime? Uh, you know, I think it's I think that what's happening a little bit, I think the artists are spending a lot of time street doing live streams. And that's a big that's a lot of work. You know, I've had two artists do that in the last month, and that takes up like two, three weeks of their time. It's a lot of staging. Um, there's a lot of uh, some of the artists aren't in the same, um, you know, place together, and they're not used to recording remotely. So I think it's a new. A few of the artists are okay with it, but some of them aren't. You know, I think it's an adjustment, and I also think some of them are kind of depressed. To be honest, I mean, they, you know, when an artist is up and working and moving, it's funny you get more records done when the artists are on tour because they they have no time to think about it. They literally, they tour, they run in, they do the record, they run out, they go back tour, they run into the record. Now they have all this time on their hands. And I think it's really, you know, it's affected some of them, actually. Right. I, I agree. I think there there's the artists that aren't getting depressed, that are working on music, and then the ones that are watching TV and sitting in front of the refrigerator, like me. But I have um, I've seen a real influx in heavy metal polkas and music from around the world. I never knew some of these countries existed, and my inbox fills with stuff that's in tempos I can't even calculate. But hey, you know, we'll take it any which way we can. 
Of yeah. course, and obviously part of the you know the whole online explosion. Um, obviously, everybody doing everything on the internet does have to do with a lot of uh, you know software and plugins and things like that. Kind of leading into uh, why we're all here today. And of course, uh, everybody, as far as everybody knows, we have the Howard Benson uh, plugin with STL tones in the Tonality series. Uh, what we have coming out though is I'm not going to get into all the features now, but we do have some added features coming out to that. And of course, we have the Chris Lord Algae expansion, which is going to offer various preset banks. Uh, being added to uh, being added to the plugin. So, uh, you know, kind of leading me into the next question, what is the dynamic, uh, you know, from you guys working together, uh, you know, on an album as opposed to now being together in a plugin? Is it that close of a working relationship to where those are all just going to work together? Well, I used to remember why the guitars don't sound like they do mixed. So when we got to this plugin, it was only natural for me to talk to Chris about, hey, I love this plugin that we've got that, you know, Mike Plotnikoff and I have kind of you know, helped develop with Sunny, but it just doesn't feel like it does at the end of the process. And a lot of that is the special sauce and all the uh, switches, buttons and knobs and uh, shit that Chris does that um, is makes Chris Chris. So we approached him and would see if he would share all that stuff with us. And uh, he was gracious enough to want to do this preset pack with us. Well, a lot of it has to do with and in our working relationship has been great for, I think it was 190,000 songs so far, accounting. Um, and that's not even the stuff outside the country that's in different languages. But um, the first round, what happens is because of the way they record, okay, and because the process of, of engineering and producing, right, with Howard, and then, okay, once he, he makes the rough, the artist approves it, then it's up to my job to, to close it, right? And to get the mix of the artists and, and give them that package of the Benson Lord Algae thing, right? Uh, the combo, what we do. So then, how do we turn that into a plugin? Well, Mike Plotnikoff is probably one of the greatest guitar engineers for guitar sounds there is in the world. I mean, without a doubt, he he can hear a fly on top of a Marshall amp speaker, okay? But more importantly, he can get a sound that's a pure tones, right? So those great pure tones get created get put in these records and then i manipulate them i actually oh i actually take them further with the analog console and that mentality so so then i take those sounds and turn those into presets so it's a good combination package because of what howard created i'm the finisher or the destroyer <laughs> well <laughs> you know it's it's all about carving it out because like you got to carve out room for the you know if you think about where most of the records chris and i have made they're guitar bass drum fundamental stuff you know and when you start adding vocals and all bass and all kinds of stuff i mean all the junk to it it's really hard to make it sound you can't hear everything unless you have the talent to be able to carve out the frequencies and the compression and all that kind of stuff it just sounds like a mush yeah. so that's kind of like you know why we always went to Chris. I mean, the first record I did, I just did a podcast. I don't know if Chris, you listened to the Less Than Jake one. I saw I a bit of it. It's pretty funny. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Was that the um, Pro Tool story? That's right. <laughs> Who was this guy? Chris. Uh, Chris and I met on the first use of Pro Tools on a record, for a rock <laughs> record, and I dragged a Pro Tools system into his uh, studio image in in Hollywood, and Chris had. Chris was not happy about that. He liked the, the tape reel. He liked big reels of tape, you know? And I got this like digital thing I'm bringing in and, you know, but uh, fast who's, who's this guy with this rig over here? 
yeah, yeah. Who is this fucking guy? (laughs) 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 And uh, so, and I was freaking out because I was like intimidated. I was like, oh my God, my first time working with a pro like this, I'm I'm fucked. (laughs) So, you know, like, but, uh, but, but you know what happened was like a lot of the time back then we really weren't able to record in Pro Tools very well. Like we were learning the system. Like we didn't realize what 16-bit versus 24-bit, 96, all that kind of shit. And Chris was able to make all those records sound amazing, like like the POD stuff and all the stuff, the early, you know, fly three days grace records and things like that. For me, at least, he's just doing records for other, lots of other producers, but right. the guitar stuff was so much more meatier and, and richer than we had actually recorded. And a lot of it was also because in Pro Tools, we were getting the, the not the benefit of tape, but not the benefit of tape. So we were right. not getting sounds that were that great. So, um, so yeah, eventually we got used to the process, of course, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that's how we started pretty much. Yeah. yeah you know, I and, think, and oh, you know, go ahead. And, well, to continue on the story. And it's funny because in, when we mixed the first record together, I was still in that place where stuff was showing up on two inch. I was transferring it one reel at a time to the 48 digit still sitting over there um and that was the format because it was a 48 digit open reel and that was working right back there in the early 90s pro tools had not really been you know worked out to the point where it was an easy interface so to have something new i had an interface into my system was like wow it was very alien to me um because of time going lockup but the funny thing is looking back now just what you can do with editing with pro tools versus analog or versus even open digital i mean it's a completely different world it really made at least in my life me more competitive with bob rock for example or or uh, bruce fairburn mm-hmm. who had tons of money to work on projects you know they had all this money and i didn't have any hit records so i was getting like thirty thousand dollar budgets and stuff and so pro tools was a, even the playing field for producers, you know, it made it that, you know, and, and obviously it's gone way beyond that. Now anybody can make records at home, stuff like that. So, but guitar tones for rock and rock records, guitar tones, I would say are almost as important or more important than drum tones for most of the bands I work with. They, those guitar tones have to be great. And I've never had anybody complain about any of the stuff that Chris mixed for me, the guitar tones. So that's why we wanted to present something to the to the fit, you know people who wanted use this plugin that was really representative of what we were really doing and what we are still doing. So and that's why we uh, you know came up with this idea. You know we call it the trilogy or the trilogy. Tr- yeah, exactly. The, inter- yeah, the interface yeah. looks great on it as well. You know I think when this came out, this was really one of the first plugins that was right in the, the way of a really true actual good plugins you know what i mean there was a lot of stuff being made but there was none of it was realistically usable um when you guys got with stl tones and stl Tones started releasing this real world people were just blown away by the tones you could actually get by it i I still think there's a disconnect between tones that sound good coming out of your speakers and something that sounds going to really good when you hit play on your mix even if you're a you know a very novice mixer but uh i think a lot of people are excited especially the you know the a lot of the metalheads and and rock kids of today who see you guys working on something together and then knowing that they can get both of your tones in one central plugin. Uh, Chris, you you have a preset bank on there called the CLA Creations uh, preset bank. And I just wanted to see if maybe what was your thought process creating that, that list of presets? Well, it was going back to the recordings that were on the record and what they sounded like and how I could emulate those. I mean, we want... we 
the BLP mentality, Benson Lord Algae and Plotnikov mentality is that if we're going to create a plugin, okay, then we want it to be something we can actually use, okay? And anybody could just have something like this, right? One of these SSL 2 pluses, plug their guitar in, go into Pro Tools, DI in, right? STL tones, boom. Okay, what do you want to do? How far do you want to go? How heavy, how clean, how dirty, how whatever, and not have to worry about anything else but that. And that's the end game. So Howard, being a rocket scientist, knows how to turn these things and knows how the process has to happen from the recording to creating the plugin to how they take the sound and turn it into something you can adjust in a plugin. So um, we did, we were pretty meticulous about going through it. Uh, about creating the, you know, be, 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 look, I, I was there to just create a, a, an expansion pack based on the original thing they do. I couldn't make that expansion pack if they hadn't built it a certain way. So um, really kudos to what they did to make that creation happen. Yeah, I think it gives a lot of people peace of mind and confidence looking at a plugin like that and seeing that if it says, you know, if it's got Chris's name on it, it has Howard's name on it, you kind of have that confidence that they signed off on this tone before they did it and said, I could use this if I really needed to. And I think that gives a lot of people, you know, confidence in using them in their own mixes and really toggling through. I mean, aside from the endless options that's offered by the plugin platform itself. I think well, it's got Howard. Thing. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. No, but it's got Howard's name on it. See, the thing is. People say, okay, Howard Benson produced, you know, these 40,000 giant records, okay? And those are the guitar sounds on those records. So it's his wheelhouse to make a plug-in that's exactly along uh, on board with what he does. Like, you see the plugins I make, they're on board with what I have, what I know. It's what he knows, so it's a guarantee you're going to get that result. So, Howard. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that we sort of wanted to do was, you know, what Chris does to the guitar tone is something that only Chris can do, right? That's like a, it's a, and it's, I actually don't even know what he's doing. So I like that actually. But um, one of the things that uh, we set out in the beginning of Sonny's plugin, when we started with the, the beginning was that simplicity, we wanted people to be able to plug in and go. And I learned a lot of that from Chris actually, because Chris was the first guy I ever met that could mix a whole record in one day. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so friggin' cool. And he's actually got a point. Like, what's you know, if you can, if you have a process and the music is great, what's why do you need around sit sit around like you 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 sort of know your business so well, you know? And I think with the guitar plugin, that's what we want people to do. We want to be able to plug in and go. That's their job is to be creative. Their job is not to be knob twirlers, you know, twiddlers. That's not, you know. And I always kind of felt like with Chris, we wanted to make his job simpler as a mixer by delivering him really well sounding stuff so he could spend time being creative and mix the stuff. So the whole point of this stuff was to keep the creativity really high and the, and, the, and the tempo of the process really fast, you know. So that's always been the idea behind it. And I think giving the CLA preset plugin is sort of like, okay, now you don't have to even go through the next step. You can just plug in and you're there. You know, you don't have to do the rest of that stuff. So the finishing. Yeah, exactly. You're taking a plugin that already has, it's obviously very full of options. You're adding more options to it. And then on top of that, you're adding the CLA preset banks, which is now just going to give you an absolute plethora 
of what you need to really and obviously you look back at the list of albums and and things that you guys have produced engineered and just been involved in as a whole and like i said you just know that you're going to find you're going to be able to find something in this plugin that you can definitely use it is a real it is a very usable applicable plugin for everybody to use um well you know what uh, one of the best compliments i think that and i'm sure chris knows this about his plugins when the artists you've worked with want to use your plugin that mm -hmm. actually is sort of validating because like a lot of the artists i work with they want to use the STL guitar plugin because right. they, wow, this is the closest I can get to being in your studio that comes out of the, the speakers. And when they hear this next version, they're going to be thinking, this is the closest I can get to having a CLA mixed version of the guitar tones, you know, and if the artists validate it, hey man, that's for me the best, you know, definitely. Definitely. And of course, and uh, you know, Chris, there's also being a preset bank added with bass uh, presets in this. Uh, what, what is what is the difference between the way you sort of go after and try to curate a list of guitar presets versus bass tones? Uh, what type of universal like, you know, range are you trying to cover with that? Well, I mean, I just try to run the gamut for what you're going to use in a mix. I mean, to me, bass is always a problem in a mix because the the complication between bass and bass amp. Bass and bass amp are two, they never get along. They're like the odd couple. You can never get them to work together. They're always fighting. And then you put it, you put them together and it's, it just sucks. So the only person that could ever get it right was on Howard Records because you'd have DI, amp, distortion, and sub. So he like mics a subwoofer and then it's like a Taurus bass pedal and it's all in phase because being a rocket scientist, it's just not going to be out of phase. It just doesn't happen. So when you put the yeah. four faders up, it actually creates something. I get every record I get, bass and amp. I'm like, okay, let's give it five minutes. No, let's give it five seconds. I'm like, this is going to work. Let me just use a plugin on it. Give me a DI and let me modify it with a plugin. And it always, I always get a better result. So to create the, you know, to, to create the presets, I go for okay, pure tone and then pure grit and then somewhere in between, right? Right. But a his, lot of it uh, was, yeah, his bass tone. I, I think I'm not, you know, saying anything that Chris doesn't know, but the bottom end of Chris's records is the. That's the reason that I think that Chris gets so much work, to be honest, because nobody gets that right. It is literally impossible to get the bottom end as good as he gets it. It's it's tight but big and fat, but doesn't vary. It's not woofy. It's not sloppy, and we've given him some classically bad bass players. I mean, we've given him guitar players that learned how to play bass that day, you know, that kind of shit. So, you know, no, no, uh, you know, we're not talking about Paul Bushnell bass players here. We're talking about, you know, guys who can barely get a note out. And when it comes back and it sounds amazing, you're just like, I don't know how the hell he just did that, but it's awesome, you know. Well, and thank we, you. Bass, remember bass, back, remember back on satellite and POD? What's the bass player from POD's name? Trey. 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 He was just so, nope, that doesn't sound right. That's not right. That's not my bass sound. So I saw that you had to jump through hoops to get a bass sound right, and I think that was a Randy Staub engineer Stop. that record, right? Yeah. Staub, yeah. yeah. Um, but when I heard it, the, you know, when I listen to it now, some, you know, 3,500 years later, um, it, it, it worked great for that band. So it, it's always a challenge, and we did that one Crazy Town record where – 
Oh my god, it's like a booty quake. The low end from the sub on the bass. The bass player, I don't know, it was like a magic record in the way the bass tone came out because there were songs where he'd go down to like a, a drop D or something, and it was like it was like, whoa. And yeah, it was really, really, I mean, you know, really good, <laughs> really like super nice uh subharmonic effect. So um so what you know, whatever it whatever it takes, look. It, 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 it always seems to be the same issue with bass is that um, it's not about EQing it. It's about actually using a plugin that modifies the mid-range more than anything. Because think about it. The bass is playing X amount of notes. If you boost one frequency, that note gets louder. It's not like a guitar that has six tones at once. It's a single tone. It's a monophonic instrument. So whatever you boost frequency you boost, that note's going to get louder. It's not going to be a, a big... A big envelope, unless it's super broad. So you got to be very careful how you actually deal with that. You know, I think bringing up all those points about EQing and frequencies and stuff like that, it's there's so many people, especially with the digital age and the boom of people basically being able to create, you know, music and stuff in their bedrooms, really brings light to just how talented and just how much work you have to put into it. Like the amount of work you guys have put into be where you are now of learning all these different things and how much, how useful a plugin like this can be when you guys go in there, do it for us essentially, put it all in one package. And now we don't have to struggle so much with, with, what everybody thought was, you know, not as hard until they had to do it themselves. Yeah, it's a lot harder when you have to do it yourself. It's, you know, it takes, I mean, I don't know how many years it takes. And I still don't know half the shit that's going on in there. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you're, we're always learning all the time. Right. You know, so. But, you know, we're, we're creating tools so we don't get hired. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I mean, we're creating true. tools to help our people. We're creating tools about what we know, right? So um, I think that's great. I, I mean, does it make us not viable? Never. Because no matter what's in a box or in a plug-in, what we hear is different than what we can create because what we create is for a specific purpose. Yeah, you still have to kind of, like, if you're a mixer, if you're out there and you're mixing or you're recording, you still have to do your 10,000 hours. You know what I mean? To get good at this, because like when you watch how fast, like, for example, when Chris mixes a record, how fast he gets it up and sounds good. It, that's what I was saying. Like he can mix a record in a day because within for like 10 minutes, the record sounds like a record, like the balancing, the levels, the sort of intuitive way of getting it to like zero to 70. That's really hard. That kind of stuff. I mean, uh, just to know because you see guys adding tons of reverb and delay and they see every knob and button and switch. They got to use every plugin. It's nuts. You know, sometimes like you use less, less does, you know, especially in the arrangements. I mean, I've, I don't think I deliver Chris too many really bad arrangements like that are over 120 no. tracks, but. Well, I use, I use the Benson Plotnikoff sessions to show people what a session should look like in, in the organization, how it should be labeled. I mean, Aside from producing meticulously the way he wants a record to sound, he actually makes sure that the audio made part of it, that the session is clean to look at and simple, and that there's nothing there that doesn't need to be there. Labeling is really important. And I mean, yeah. I, we're not here to talk about that, but like, I, I, I hate sending stuff to, if I, I, I would never send something to Chris where the guitar play, if the guitar tracks would say Steve left, Steve right, Joe, mono, you know, Stewie, you know, late night. Right. I name them guitar left, guitar right, guitar two left, chorus guitar. Like, what is the position? Like, what 
It's like baseball. What's the position? You know, first, second, third base. You know, so that way when he looks at it, he just sped up his time by by hours, not having to listen to every single track and go, who is this? What does this mean? Like, what is that? You know, that sounds like not a big deal, but it is a big deal when you're into hundreds of tracks of things. Oh, you know? right. So I'm getting stuff that says vocal dot dupe, vocal dot dupes, one, two, three, four, five. Doesn't even say who's what. Who's on first? What's on second? Oh, the dupe know. stuff. The dupe stuff's killing like, me. Yeah. It's basically a lazy way of mixing a tiny a little bit because you're just kind of like, instead of actually going through the sound and getting it right, you just keep duplicating shit and you just keep adding plugins onto it. And mm. to me, it's like, it just it just sounds like phasey because you're getting the same thing repeated, you know, four vocals that are duped. Like, you know, anybody hear phase shift? You know, so uh, it, you know. It's, it's a matter about how clean you want to be with your sessions. I mean, I could almost write a, a code book about what should I name these things? And then you could have, you know, like your lead vocal could be LD space V plus, which means it's tuned and maybe a T after it. it's kind of been timed, whatever, if you've modified it. So there's I think it should be a code book on the short words that thing could be named. But that becomes part of the job. I mean, it's really interesting that. Every morning when sessions come into my, my office, because my cat wakes me up at six, um, and I'm <laughs> editing, I'm renaming the files, okay? Because I don't care. It's like, look, if they send me a fixed part, I'll figure it out. But I can't deal with the song title in the name of the so in the name of the audio file. That's really annoying. But um, the worst the worst editing. ones are when you get them in and it goes, okay, let me see. I'm looking at six tracks: audio one, audio two, audio three, yeah. audio four. <laughs> like, yeah, I know it's audio, you know. <laughs> That's one of our big pet peeves and frustrations we have as creators. I mean, um, his naming and it's also organizing it, and you know that that it's not little bits and pieces everywhere. It's all very well put together. Yeah, like what would Mozart do? You know, he'd want a good-looking score, right? He'd want to be able to flip through the pages and go, "What's happening here? What's happening here?" And you know what? Too, you can show it to an artist if it starts with like the, the way I do it, vocals and down to guitars. You can see the spate. You can almost see it like a score. And you can yep. show the artist, hey, nobody's taking a rest here. Everybody's playing every second. Maybe you guys should use those little square things that are in scores. They're called rests. That means don't yeah. play. <laughs> you know? So maybe you could use a few of them, you know. I mean, there's no space here. It's just like a you know, dense thing. So and you know what it is when I give something to Chris. It is a score, you're right. You see it as a score when you look at the big when you look at the, the big picture, you're so used to seeing the score in a certain way. Right. That's how I look at it, you know. I used to so, drive Chris crazy. I used to print out the before <laughs> Pro Tools was in the other side of the room. I used to print out the um, front of this uh, thing. I did a screenshot, and I would sit yep. to him with the screenshot. And <laughs> I had to get Chris used to that one. I was hey, like, well, Howard, you were the one that <laughs> remember you came in my room and said, "Hey, this this is a really good this is a really good story." So. <laughs> You know, Howard's bringing the bands over. We're working together. He knows that he brings them in here once, and he can leave them to me, and he can go back and work on the next record. But he comes in, and there's a, there's the speakers, and there's the six Grammys across the front and the meter bridge. And he goes, well, you need to put the Pro Tools up there so they can see it, not just on the other side of the screen, so they can see it. And remember that? I Remember oh, that? Yeah. No Pro Tools screen in front of me. Simple it was point. on the other side. My assistant was looking at it yeah. on the other side of the console. So... <laughs> I had this come to Jesus moment or whatever, right? 
And as soon as they put the screen up and got rid of the Grammys and took those things at home, then the bands were a lot friendlier. And then we could actually see what's going on. And they're sitting, I'm actually seeing the music, seeing what we're doing. So we're on the same page. Because, you know, my assistant would prep and I would just look look at the meter bridge and, and worry about that. And that was, what, 10 years ago at least, right? Yeah. I remember Chris said something funny to me because, you know, he got a little mad at me. He said, uh, it doesn't matter what it fucking looks like. It matters what it fucking sounds like. And I said, you know what, dude? I agree with you completely. But to the bands nowadays, it actually does matter what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. When I'm looking at it, I, I when I'm looking at it, I see I have to do edits now. So I've gotten to the point where I have my I have my keyboard right here that I can slide across. I have my nice freaking touchpad, boom, and I can edit quickly right on the spot there and arrange it. So look, right. there's no going back. But you do miss the Grammys. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, they're at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't. I actually want more screens. Uh, I prefer to have more. I don't miss them anymore. I need. I need the fucking screen in front of me. But yeah, I do miss them because they. There's a certain, you know, when you get these comments about it doesn't sound like the demo. I'm like, let me ask the six Grammys what they fucking think it sounds like. Anyway. <laughs> so. So the plug the plugin itself is uh, STL Tonality, and of course it's the trilogy, and of course that's uh, referring to Benson, CLA, and Plotnikov. So actually, you know what? Not, there is a deeper meaning to this. Okay, it okay. actually refers to the Emerson Lake and Palmer record trilogy. Yes, and Chris and I are ah. fans of Emerson Lake and Palmer, so yes. we just kind of were spitballing one day. And we just oh, gotcha! Out. There we go. <laughs> we were going to well, put you all yeah, <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Well, without without obviously without him being here, what is the dynamic between the three of you guys? Let's say the three of you guys were in a room. You guys are going to start on a record, uh, if that's even something that happens. What's the what? Do you guys just automatically know what your role is? And 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 so, what's the dynamic between the three of you guys working on something like that? I think it's so automatic at this point that it's. You know, I mean, there's there's been times where I've heard back from Chris saying like one time I remember leaving the sub bass off for a while on the bass and he called me back and he said, I want that sub bass back on. So we started doing that again and just little things like that. Or I like this kick drum sample you guys are using or things that, you know, or, you know, when we were going off a little bit, sometimes we kind of like veer off course. He would call us up and say, hey, maybe you should try, especially when we moved to our new studio, we were listening differently and there was a lot of communication about tones like. We had gone from base seven to the studio I own now, but you know, it, things change when that happens. So there's a lot of interaction, but it's mostly about that. You know, um, when I deliver something to him, I just kind of wait till it's mixed and that's it. I don't really make even that many comments, honestly. So, you know, I, if I, if it's within the way I look at this kind of thing is like, it, if it's like a ball field, if, if the ball lands in right center or left and it lands and they don't catch it, it's a hit either way. The bands sometimes get caught up in the blades of grass where it has to hit. I don't care. As long as it hits out there somewhere, I'm fine. You know, I go, you know what? I'm in. So then Chris has to finish it up a lot of times with the bands. And that's that's where he's great because he's uh, he has a way of getting things. I always call Chris Mariano Rivera because he can close it. He closes. Closes. You know? <laughs> you know? closer, yeah. yeah. And closer. it's hard to do that. Don't put that. You, you shouldn't even re really minimize that because when you get to the end of the projects it's uh, he has to close it out and then the mastering guy has to do his thing you know but a lot of times it falls on him to get the bands over the finish line because there's you know what it is there's all kinds of like 
I don't know, they get kind of like, oh, I'm done the project or they get this like eureka moment. They need to have a eureka moment. Oh my God, that's perfect. You know, but there right. is never any perfect any really. So um, somehow- There's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of minutia at the end. There can be. There can there be. There can be. Yeah. It and it depends. it depends on if they're hung up on something. I mean, look, Howard has to deliver his final rough mix to the label, to the artist, to get, get approval to move forward. Once he has that, I need to look at that as my template and then do what I do in the transformation sonically and make sure I re reel the band and communicate with them and close the deal and get it done. Because that's part of our relationship. That's part of a partnership where my job is to take it from here. You know, I always say that part of the reason that I like working with Chris is that when I, in my vision at the end of the record, you want to be hit over the head with a two by four when you hear that thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the goal. We're, we're not selling perfection. We're selling emotion. So the feeling is like when you turn it on and you go, fuck yeah, then that's it. So if the bands want to sit around and mess around with the hi-hat levels and a delay, a throw delay here and a bit, whatever, that's their thing. But as far as I'm concerned, if I go, fuck yeah, I'm we're there. And, I, and we never really go backwards from that. I, I know Chris will not fuck that part up, you know, right. like, but he does have to, the bands do have these comments and look, it's their art. You know what I mean? Like they have right. to live with it. So, you know, a lot of it usually band usually have to do with is what they hear in their head. It could be less harmonies or no harmony in a spot or filtered vocal sound or, or something or some kind of distort. It, it could usually be along those lines or, you know, like a drummer like Neil Sanderson is a very focused, smart guy with a great band, stays loyal to us. He gets what the picture is, right? But he's also, a lot of times on each record, he's looking to, to, to get something. Look, the guy plays yeah. drums like this. He never crosses the streams, ever. Like, it's like this. He never, like, it never goes like this. Yeah. I can't do it. I tried hanging out with him and trying to do air drums. And, oh, boss dead, you crossed. You're over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, like it's at the end of the records, and then sometimes the mastering guy gets it. Like we use Ted Jensen a lot, but he's able to get us through the that part of it pretty easily. Yeah. You know, I'd imagine now the more you know that self education is out there, the more these guys think that they are, you know, mixers, and they think that they're kind of somewhat engineers, problem. and and they walk in, and I'm just that like, is, that I'm, is the problem. Yeah, because we're not trying to change their art. We're not like, right. like I remember with Sayosin, they made one of my favorite records that we've made, even though it was really difficult to make it. But I think what they were arguing about were things that we held our ground on to make sure they would be happy in 2020 about right. their record, you know? And it, it, it's the, it's, it's, we can see the future of this, you know, the sonic part because we've been through it a lot. I mean, nobody, uh, like in that particular project, I remember that was a busy drummer, the drummer. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to say a word to this drummer because he is so fucking good and he's playing all over the place. But that is the magic. It wasn't like, what is the EQ on the snare? That they shouldn't, that's the part. Why are you guys worried about that? You know, like that's the part we're trying to get right. You know, there's enough chaos here, you know. The bigger danger is that they all, yeah, they all think they're mixers, and that's great. You know what? I I, I agree with Howard's ten thousand hour rule. I mean, yeah. I've mixed twenty five thousand songs. That's more than anybody on the planet, um, or more at this point. But I mean, 
you know, these these novices have plugins and Pro Tools, great. Well, look, keep practicing. You'll get better at it. But uh, it makes it can sometimes make our job a little challenging because of their somewhat knowledge, you know, of what they think they can do on their laptop or their headphones. And okay. demoitis. Demoitis is, you know. I was about to comment on that, yeah. I can't think of any worse disease besides COVID. I think demoitis, if we could find a vaccine for that. that would <laughs> yeah. Be, Whoa. You know, yeah. that would be because, I mean, seriously, these these guys get married to something. You know, they listen to it a million times. And like one thing that Chris and I are really good at is that we're not married to anything. Right. Our job is not to be married to things, you know, is to be constantly looking for, you know, not. Hey, if it's ideas we have and they suck, then they suck, you know. So but a lot of bands like we had one artist that came in and listened to his record his demo for a year and we had no chance of making this guy happy. I remember. And I just thinking, I mean, come on, just use the demo. It's at some point you just go, you know what? Just use your demo. What's the point? Yeah, if you're happy with it, what do you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Yeah. Why are we well, here? It's got a new record. So you get used to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's so, there's so much available to people now that there's this weird little gray area of space where, you know, we can't afford to have anybody, especially like you guys or, you know, even some of the lower echelon guys that are doing it. We can't afford them, especially when you're just writing music for fun. You got your band, you know, you still have your day jobs and stuff. So they work on it and work on it. And then they're showing stuff to people and people are like, man, you made this. This is amazing. That gets in there and they're like making demos right. left and right. But they don't realize that this gray area that we're all living in is still underneath this whole upper echelon of people who are going in and making hit records. You know what I mean? That's just a whole different just ball game and architecture, you know, completely. You can use the plugins that that I mean Chris has an amazing amount of plugins and they're amazing and they're they're really sort of the the gold standard for plugins. But if you don't work every day at it professionally and really learn your and you're working with other people and you're doing it with a gun to your head, like a record company has a gun to your head saying you need to make do this and it needs to be great. You're not really in the music business. I mean, right. you're just having fun. It's a hobby. It's good. But, you know, we work under stress all the time. Like we are, you know, we have to answer to a lot of people, you know, the artists, the label, the managers, the agents, the lawyers, the girlfriends, the girl, you know, the boyfriends, <laughs> everything. You know, that's stress. That's hard to do. That's, you know, I would say that, you know, further on in my career that I am right now is that I get hired more now for my wisdom than really whether I like am great at like an EQing something at this point. It's more like, hey, what do you think of this? Do you think this is quality? Do you right. think that this is, you know, we are on the right track? I mean, those are the things that, I mean, you can't just learn those without doing it a lot, you know? So. Right. The last thing I was uh, last thing I was just going to kind of touch on is just kind of reiterate that uh, there is uh, obviously an expansion on the plugin coming out. It's going to be adding some features. It's going to be adding a base section. We're of course going to be adding the uh, the CLA preset banks. There's going to be multiple ones in there, uh, which is going to have album tones. It's going to have CLA creations. Uh, you know, tones that were just made by him for that preset. So. Uh, if you guys are watching this podcast now, please be on the lookout for that. Make sure you guys head over to stltones.com to check that out. Guys, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to join us today. I know you guys are busy guys, especially in the climate that we're in now. So uh, I want to thank you. I'm going to let you guys go and get back to work. Well, I'm just going to finish off what Howard said there at the end is that, you know, <clears throat> we're hired for a wisdom because we've been at it for a while and we still love what we do. Okay. And by creating this plugin, we're taking that wisdom and giving you a great tool to create music with have fun with and also get a result that you're like yep that's what those guys do 
thank God I can do it my I can do it myself now. Touche. So. Absolutely. Touche. Well said. All right. Well, well, Abel, thanks for having us. Thank you. No, man. thank you guys. I appreciate your time very, very much. Thank you. I will see you guys soon. Okay. See you later, Chris. All right. All right. Take care, you guys.